Here we go. Here we go. exciting it's exciting yeah because we're doing a new sound thing but also because we're a little tipsy i would yeah i'm recovering i just had some black tea so i'm coming down i'm ready to take a nap hi (laughs) hi it feels like it's been so long we did just have dinner we didn't she didn't just like show up at my house but it's been two weeks i guess i did see you last week and you showed up at my house and brought me sour gummy worms oh yeah i was just trying you know keep the friendship alive gotta keep it spicy you know show up at your door have some snacks and say (laughs) bye you never know yeah i mean brian brought me sour treats on you know our like fifth date or something so this is our maybe 2000th date so things are getting really serious (laughs) i'm keeping it uh fresh and young even long into our relationships gotta keep it fresh welcome fascism (laughs) podcast yes so i'm jackie i'm hope we make this podcast about art and fashion and culture and you know tell your friends we do stuff we like read books sometimes like we did today that are really big and then we try to like break through it to like take from what we learned from the last few books we've read and articles and things and it's a little bit of us learning along with you and we love five star reviews but when we don't get them online we accept them from friends who tell us in person like we learned so much from your podcast why aren't you famous yet yeah exactly i do love that i think i like five stars more true that's true as much as the irl praise is great we can't really capitalize on that (laughs) yeah exactly you gotta spread the word should we get into what's trending? Yeah. Are you asking me? Uh, yeah. What's trending, Hope? I didn't prepare for this as much as I usually do. I think what's trending for me is emotions. And you you told me today that like you were feeling really emotional and that there's something in the air. I've had a really emotional couple weeks. I left my job and didn't think I was going to feel so many things. I've only had that job for two years. I kind of just applied on a whim, not on a whim, but just because I was applying to jobs during the, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic. I was working on my thesis. There were helicopters flying above my house because people were protesting in my neighborhood. It was like a crazy time. And I was like trying to apply for jobs because I was also like, I need money. I felt super indecisive about what to do. I I like to think I'm kind of good at making decisions, but and so I was upset with myself that I was having such a hard time. I was crying to Brian being like, they've just been so supportive. Fung was like, I didn't know you didn't have a car right now. Like I can pick you up for our site visit. Like just so upset. And then I told them, they were like, we understand. And then I felt they were like, you can come back anytime. And I was instantly like, Should I tell them I changed my mind? Like I was literally about to go in the next day and be like, I changed my mind. Take me back. My other boss, everyone's basically my boss at work because like everyone's a project manager except for me and this one other guy. But me and the woman I work with the most, she came up to me and she was like, you know, you can like the people as much as you want, but if you don't like the work, you don't like the work. And honestly, everyone who came up and talked to me had like a different story about Mm. why they thought I was leaving. They were like, we get it. You just want to try something new. We get it. Blah, blah, blah. Like literally when I quit, I told them it was like largely because they got acquired and like I didn't like the new company. But there were a lot of reasons. Anyway, my but boss. I'm sure that story didn't get out. Right. Because they, they don't want it to. Yeah, exactly. And I feel a little regretful that I haven't 
and I, it's not like there's not still time, but I'm like, I should have told them that I thought the CEO was a complete clown. But yeah, me and my boss kind of like cried at work. It was just like, whoa. Yeah, she came up to, she came up and was like, you know, we just really were excited for what you're going to do. Like really, I don't know, like, I don't exactly even remember what the conversation was about, but she was just like, <laughs> she was like, I'm just, emo- I'm like, I'm getting emotional. And we both just like cried. <laughs> She's the one that's cried in- before. No. Wow. To me, I'm like, these women <laughs> with their emotions. But that's totally fair. I love that. Like, Yeah, we weren't like sobbing, but. Um, you had a tear? Yeah, I was like crying. But so now I'm feeling really good about it and pretty excited to move to the next thing. I'm just like basking in this like new next chapter mm-hmm. energy. Uh, and then my sister got married this past weekend. So that was also emotional. I I expected to cry more than I did, but it was it was it was like it was emotional. I think weddings are like supposed to make you feel emotional. It's basically like a performance. A hundred percent. That's supposed to make you feel emotional. And I also feel like weddings just kind of bring to the forefront like people get upset about wedding things and it's like they want to pretend that it's the because of something that happened related to the event but it's actually just that weddings make holes in relationships really obvious oh yeah because it's like you didn't get invited or you didn't get to participate in this one thing or blah 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 and so i've had these feelings over the weekend of like have i been a good enough sister yada yada you know just i also always get like post-party depression where it's like did every was everything good kind of like also just basking in the post-party energy it's just a lot but that is a lot. Um, and then I, you know, smashed my pinky in the car door. So it was kind of like a, a nice. <laughs> it, was a, it matched your physical. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Where it's like nothing really. It's like not that big of a deal, but I'm feeling it. <laughs> yes. It's like throbbing. You told me that you were laying in bed being like, my pinky hurts. Yeah. Brian had to like go get me an ice pack. And then he got me like my strong Advil that I have from when I got my wisdom teeth <laughs> I out. I mean. That like I said, I don't, I haven't had my pinky smashed in a while, but I do remember it being the worst pain I've ever experienced, and I've shattered some bones. I told them, I told Jackie and Brian when we were just having dinner that I remember seeing my mom smash her finger in a car door at one point and realizing like, oh my god, like there's gonna be so much pain to experience in this world. Like <laughs> that's when she woke up, she became a, a real person. It just that made moment. me scared to be alive. I was like, you just <laughs> never know. And you were so right. Dude, I mean, this is like fucking white women talking about. We're supposed to say all trauma is equal, but like. But, but it's not. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it doesn't invalidate your experience. Thank you. Yeah, what's trending with you? Trending for me is being on the verge. Midsummer just happened, or like, I guess, everybody told me midsummer, but Hope was making a point that it's actually beginning of summer. So I was like, I don't know. But our friend was just at a midsummer party. Yeah. And I feel like there's before midsummer and after midsummer, like Hope and I are both moving on career-wise different. So yeah, I quit my job finally. And now I'm an intern starting from the bottom, baby. (laughs) I'm going to be a photography intern. I don't know. I'm also like dating and it feels like dating is shifting in a weird like it's in my favor more than it ever has been Why? I'm feeling what more do you serious mean by that? you know just like they're coming into my life in a way where i feel like i have options for the first time and ever no you know i i don't know contenders are happening mm-hmm, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is embarrassing to talk about you i mean that's that is valid that right right and i think it has something to do with being midsummer so i'm saying there's before midsummer and after midsummer are you is all sure I'm it's saying. not just that you finally reach enough hair clips where like <laughs> pleated your hair clip crown and now you're like 
I do also feel like my style is being like, like yeah, coming you're, in. you've honed it in. Yeah, and certain things that are just happening, and also my vibrator broke, so I'm on the verge of coming every time I use that vibrator, and it never happens. Just like it, like stops working. At it's some point. like goes for like two minutes, so I get confident while using it, right? And then it dies on me right before I explode. And so I'm just like, fuck. And then I charge it thinking it's going to fix it. Um, every time, four times I've tried. And now I'm just like, obviously this thing is. I want to ask more questions, but I might just ask them off the mic. And then my ex came and visited me. When I say my ex, I mean like we dated 10 years ago. I How long did you guys a, date again? Not even that long. Like three months, four months. And I cheated on him. And then like we talk about it. I mean, I was a baby and he was like 32. I was like 21 and he was 32. And I told him, I was like, how dare you this weekend? I was like, I was talking about all my exes are idiots. And he's like, all of them? And I'm like, yeah, you're great. But I mean, like you did date me at 21. So gross. What do you have to say about that? He laughed. I mean, he's like, I was a child. I was like, yeah, that's the 32-year-old man. Yeah, anyways, he was my age when he dated me. I can't even imagine dating a 21-year-old. Yeah, anyways, so he came and visited, not just me, but he's like on a road trip, but I and he had, like I was on the stop. It wasn't just for us to hang out. And he motorcycled here from Denver. Yeah, shout out Dallas if you're actually ever listening. And I highly doubt he will. I sent this to him being like, yeah, so he, that was a weird, it was just like pinpointing like my before life and now I feel like the rest of my life is about to happen or something. I feel like so I'm about to have the rest of my life. divided between pre-Dallas and post-Dallas? Yeah, we could say that. I do feel like there was like... Or it's just ne- yesterday and then the rest of your life, baby. Yeah, it was like yesterday and the rest of my life, but like he, I was like, you are here at the pivotal point. We both lost, it was also Father's Day and that was weird. It's just like, feels like there's a lot of things happening and within my group of friends too, we're all like rustling and like getting out of something. And I just feel like, yeah, the rest of our lives is just now starting and I we're on the verge is all I'm saying. I just was reminded of the thing we wanted to talk about also, which was speaking of ex-boyfriends, according to a recent Spotify statistics report, over 50% of our Spotify listeners are men. Yeah. Like, where did we go wrong? (laughs) That's what I keep questioning myself. Yeah. And so we have a few theories. First, I was like, it's all of our ex-boyfriends. And then I was like, maybe we're just pick-me's. Yeah, and which is definitely not true. I mean, I hope to God. I Yeah, I'm not. But I mean, sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, oh God, here I am. Literally, we have so many female friends. That's true. We were like, Brian and I are having a housewarming party next weekend and we were talking about it and he's like, it's going to be like a ton of women. He was like, you know how it's usually there's tons of guys and a few girls. And I was like, not in my world. <laughs> what do you mean usually? No, that's not that's not my world. Exactly. And the other one was like, maybe it's guys who like, you know, in the 90s, if you wanted to hit on leftist women, you would like get into activism. You would be like saving the pandas. But yeah. now you listen to fascism yeah. podcasts. You just get it all done. It educates you. <laughs> or you're someone Jackie has met on Hinge. <laughs> that's yeah, all my hands people because she does promote this podcast on hinge <laughs> i was like if i got every single one on hinge that would be impressive and then we had some other comments because i posted this on my insta story about how like my gabe shout out to gabe who was my old roommate and he's gay and he he loves this podcast he's an avid li- listener and love you miss you said that he's like been like sharing it to all the gays so that makes me feel better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's Anyways. yeah so speaking of how good this podcast is we're talking today about anna which is the biography of anna wintour may or may not be a two-part 
episode. We're going to see how it goes. We have extensive notes. Honestly, this is a long book and we read it top to bottom. The reason we read this book was um, because I've been following Amy O'Dell, her Substack, and saw that she was putting out this book and they sent us a couple copies. Wink, wink. You know, that's just sort of the celebrity status <laughs> that we, we get. enjoy. And we read Anna Wintour is the subject of this book. We've been talking about how recognizable she is. Like I was about to get my hair done and I was going to bring the book and I was like, should I take out the book jacket? Like I'm a little embarrassed, which I, I feel bad for saying. Yeah. Because I shouldn't be embarrassed about reading it. Brian was like, no one knows who she is. No one's going to know who that is. Oh, yeah. Which you you had beef with. Which I had major beef with, but only because it's just like, man, it's just like the, that's what I always hear with white men. And Dallas didn't know who it was either. And I'm like, because you're a white man. I think there's a lot of women who don't know who she is. I would say a lot of women do, though. She is a celebrity. I thought you said that Dallas knew it. Oh, no, that was the guy you went on the date with. Yeah, shout out to, oh, I won't say his name. He doesn't, we haven't gone on enough dates. Yeah, so Amy O'Dell's a fashion writer. Like, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about her. Like, I don't really know her background. I looked up her website, but it's just like a link to a bunch of her articles. She spent a ton of time researching this book, interviewed like 250 people, spent multiple years. Like 200, yeah, I was going to say a lot of people. A lot of people. Biographies. I definitely saw some of Andre's memoir, memoir being like, use but like not saying i was like that's from his memoir i know right. like you know what i mean right yeah she definitely read his memoir i'm sure she read a bunch of memoirs because everyone in this industry has a memoir that's what i'm saying we should start doing this uh, are we like, gonna be like celebrity we're gonna be like fashion, fashion memoir book club yes you heard it here first i really think that with it like we already kind of set this up like that uh, right media halls right right yeah so anyways um, I wanted to, I told Hope that I wanted to build out the Vogue world and like, yeah, have characters that we all like just know the Vogue world. And because it's, it's such a powerful unit. Condé Nast or whatever you say. It's such a weird name. Condé, Condé Nast. Is such a powerful media source. Yeah. And publishing has so much money and power. Like, that's something I hadn't really realized was that how much nepotism is in publishing. So much. How I mean, much in money is in too. publishing. Yeah. Um, and and so I read, I learned a lot and I'm excited to talk about it. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so I guess we're going to start kind of like in order the book-ish and the book being called Anna. Anna. Great. <laughs> Great job. Also, I just want to say that the book, in, the introduction is after Trump wins the election. That's yeah. like how she opens the book, which is clever, I think. Is... Yeah, a, a pull in. She, Anna comes in after Trump wins the election and she's like really upset. And she says, there's an article that came out today accusing me of going too far in supporting Hillary Clinton, the first woman to ever win the Democratic presidential bid for president. She said, standing in front of the room, she was referring to a piece of a piece published that morning in the fashion industry newspaper Women's Wear Daily with the headline, did Anna Wintour in Vogue's Hillary Clinton advocacy go too far? Blah, 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 blah. She says... I would just like to say to everyone gathered here who works for me that if supporting... Wait. Oh, what? You need to do this in an English accent. What kind of English accent does she have? The Queen's. The Queen's English. I just would like to say... Is that too... That's no, that's a like a... Oh, uh, Cockney? Yes. Cockney is just the go-to. I would just like to say... Wait, God damn it. It got <laughs> even okay. more Cockney. I'm like a Spice Girl. <laughs> I don't know what the Queen's English is. I would just like to say... <laughs> If supporting, god damn, we should have read some, watched some interviews with her. I did. She almost sounds American because she's been here for so long, but go on. 
Anyway, she's like, if supporting LGBTQ rights, if supporting women's rights, if supporting women running for office, if supporting immigrants, and if supporting people all over the country for equality means going too far, then I hope all of you go too far every single day. Okay, Anna. And then she cries. Okay, Anna. I think that's the most cringy thing that a editor-in-chief, basically CEO fucking Vogue could say. Yeah. Well, as we go through the book, we'll point out why. I mean, it'll become clear why it's like a little disingenuous for her to say this, but it is a good speech. It's like very political. It's like she's a politician. Yeah, you know, 100%. She is a politician. And that's really like something Amy O'Dell talked about too, was she's like some, I watched an interview with her where she was like, someone asked her, what do you, what do you want people to take away from this book? And she said power. She wants people to understand why Anna has power, why she's been there so long, like what it means for people to, for the media to be talking about a woman with that much power. Yeah. And Anna has a lot of it. And that's why I get so mad when people are like, who is she? Cause I'm like, she's running basically like the media. Yeah. And it's like all of these fucking fanboys of Elon Musk who are like, he's so important. Tesla. And it's like, sure. Electric vehicles great i mean i think it's the fact that he's a billionaire but it's like i feel like people who are obsessed with him they think they're obsessed with him because he's smart and because his company is like smart but it's like (laughs) no you're obsessed with him because he's rich yeah and she has just as much power as he does yeah i mean i don't know maybe i think billionaires are our unelected politicians and he has a little bit more power but honestly it's like he has his own money but she affects a lot of money that's not her own she pulls it she has strings and power in different places like way more old money than she could say no to elon musk being on the cover of vogue definitely and he does want to be a celebrity yeah so he would want her approval so there's a sense of need of approval from anna wintour definitely it makes me wonder if like elon musk is allowed at the met gala if he's been he's been he's been the last three and he's embarrassing he wasn't at the he wasn't with grimes last oh yeah that's because they divorced i predicted that or whatever you picked up on that i was like there's a reason he's not with her but like he went with his mom this time and he was making goofy ass faces and i fucking hated it so he was there just not with Grimes okay so Grimes was the one in September okay and then he was at this last one. Oh, so and he was with his mom oh yeah he's in Anna loves him I'm sure really he loves like being close to money and like power right a hundred percent she's she doesn't mind him at right least. she invites him I'm she, sure she tolerates him yeah I mean she was friends with Harvey Weinstein and Donald Trump so parents rich rich they met at Cambridge they were both into journalism when I first her mom's name is Noni Mm -hmm. and so at first I was reading it as Nani like Italian grandmother and I was like I thought it was about her grandparents I was so confused I was confused too I I got that same thing where I was like what is what do you mean but it's her mom Noni um they're both into journalism they meet in the World War II you know has a lot of effects, including changing the course of their relationship. And so he enlists after they're done with school. Um, she's from the U.S., so she goes back to Pennsylvania. Or, sorry, she goes back to Pennsylvania after they finish Cambridge, and then he enlists, and he's like, yo, you should come back here because, like, I'm about to maybe go to war. And then they get married in 1940. She gets pregnant, and then uh, she goes back to the U.S. Yeah, so he doesn't see his son Gerald for like five years which is so Victorian it's so weird and old school money like just the kids aren't there don't worry about them who gives a shit somebody will take care of them it's just weird and rich yeah and he she's in the U.S. with their kid 
and then he gets depressed and he decides that the antidote to his depression is to have affairs. I mean, he's is he wrong? I feel like... Was I, he depressed ever again? Do you follow up? <laughs> Did he kill himself or no? No. So seems like it turned out fine. I mean, having... Like it is a dopamine surge, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think I think where he went makes sense to me. Yeah, and apparently she had kind of signed off. It says that like in the earliest weeks together, Noni had realized that he wasn't the faithful type, and he assumed that she'd like agree to a an extramarital relationship, <laughs> or that it would benefit him. And so she's six months pregnant and a, a consents to the affair, like while she's in Boston. As long as she's getting it, it's all I, I hope for her. She's six months pregnant? What, you think she's on like... Some people love it. Well, yeah. I mean, I just would... I would guess she didn't, but I like the idea of leaving room for the fact that she was yeah also having sex. But yeah, so he starts spending his evenings with some 23-year-old divorcee who had a fiance who was in Rhodesia. Typical. But then he's like really, then he wants her back in England. He wants Noni back in England just because he like misses his wife and this is, or whatever. And she's like, okay. And then leaves her son behind. And well, and she's like, doesn't want to. She's basically forced. Yeah. Him and his, her dad are like kind of brokering this deal. And she like, I mean, it just sounds so sad. It it's tragic from the get-go i'm just like why why do we have to make these why does this have to happen why are these decisions even being made like this like you're back in pennsylvania some guys like come to the you come to england i'm about to go to war like just say no yeah just say no there's plenty of like fine guys in pennsylvania but i guess like I don't, I just can't understand that time period of like women not having the capability to say no to their husbands befools me. Like I don't, I can't. She just should have said no before they even got married. But yeah, I guess there was like no, she couldn't like go on a date or something. I just feel like she could have gone to like the soda fountain and like found someone else. (laughs) She could have gone to the local pond, I think, and found somebody else. The local where? I don't, pond, P-O-N-D. Oh, pond, yeah. I just assume people are hanging out. Yeah, church. There's so many options. What is it? The barn? You can go back to the barn and like yeah dude charles is not it honky tonky but he does become a newspaper bigwig he like meets someone while at war who's like i have connections to the publishing industry and then like he does get hooked up and like becomes in charge of a newspaper the evening standard well there's like a few different ones well he becomes editor a well-known editor of evening standard and this to me is just like of course there was no way he was not going to become editor of evening standard he was set up for success from the, the beginning though know? to be fair the person he met who set him up with the job was literally someone just like he was at war with yeah but he was wealthy enough if they hadn't gone to war i'm sure he could have found his way like with the yeah. higher ups you yeah. know right he um, went to cambridge it's like yeah but yeah the fact that they went to war that's crazy huh that is insane that's so, so like there's darkness over this family you know yeah, As I think every English family at that time. So yeah, um, and then Noni has four more kids, including Anna. But you're skipping over the big part where, like Gerald, their kid that sh- they basically ignored for five years and acts like they didn't have a kid, and they say with I think Nani's parents, he gets in a car wreck. Yeah, he gets hit. Well, and Anna was born by then. Yeah, he like goes he goes for a bike ride and then gets hit by a car and dies. And then do you know what Gerald does? Or what Charles. Uh, Charles does? He like goes back to work. He gets the, yeah, exactly. He gets the letter, telegraph, whatever they call the pigeon <laughs> of being like, your son's dead. 
And he looks at it, he reads it, and then goes back into the meeting, acts like nothing happened, and then continues to finish out his day at work. I say, okay, I guess we're not supposed to judge people's, like, tr- like trauma responses, and he was in a war. But I say that it is sociopathic, like, level. like, And then, like, he was rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. I think that is sick. Yeah, and you see a lot of, like, the way I think Anna reflects on her childhood. She's like, yeah... He was always working. He was always taking calls while we were on vacation. And it's like, yeah, everyone thought it was okay because he's a dude. They're like, well, his job's very important. Yeah, yeah. But, like, not important enough to just go home, check on your wife or whatever. Like, go back to the scene and, like, make sure everybody's okay. And then his, like, boss is just like, wow, that's impressive. Not having any emotion to this. I'm glad you could erase, basically. It's just like, what culture is so okay with this? It's just bizarre to me. Yeah. It's... And it kind of sets the standard for where Anna is going to be at. Also, this like really reminded me of Celebrity Memoir Book Club because they talk a lot about like women will reflect women who are those celebrity women whose memoirs they're writing tend to reflect and be like, my dad, my dad, he was so great. And then like, fuck yeah. my mom, right? Yeah. And it's like the way Anna reflects. She's it, her dad is her inspiration. Yeah. Her dad, blah, blah, blah. But her mom like worked. Yeah. Uh, her mom, like she's bored at home with five kids who are under 10 and she starts picking up freelancing gigs, reviewing TV shows, reading scripts for Columbia Pictures. Eventually, she's writing as a film critic. Her second career is as a social worker, helping pregnant teens find adoptive parents for their children. But either way, it's like Anna like never talks about that. She never talks about it. She talks about how her dad was such a big influence on her life and how he basically guided her to do Vogue. He was like, she was like filling out some kind of what you want to do in the future. She and she was like, what should I put here? And he was like, obviously you put editor-in-chief of Vogue. And then she was like, and that was that. And I was like, if I hear that story, that's not, I don't know. It's just like, there's so many things that go into it. I'm sure that was a big influence, but I'm also like, your mom was so important to you. Like, what about the value of I don't know, whatever your mom gave you versus your dad's like stoicism. But it was her way to climb the climb the ladder. It was a way to identify, get people to draw into the the capitalist norm. She's like, I have a background of a father being an editor. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And they have similarities like that they're like both very stoic, but and they both love to party. Supposedly. She likes to dance. Yeah. She sounds like she loves, I mean, she goes to a lot of parties. Yeah, she does go to a lot of parties. But are you partying just because you're, you're at a party, you know? <laughs> That's true. That's fair. Are you at, what it makes you feel like you're at a party, you know? And mm-hmm. parties can be not fun, too. We assume that parties, all the parties she's having, she's having a lot of fun. Right. And Anna's teens, they did get divorced because, and that's when she first, like, started to realize Charles was, like, a cheater. Mm. And No, uh, she realized before then, like, her and her friend La- v- Vivian Lasky at some point have this realization that like their dads are not yeah. faithful to their moms. Yeah. But yeah, who knows how it's like, yeah, and then they get divorced. I mean, like, when did I realize that? I don't even know. Maybe I always knew. My dad was also a cheater. Just saying, I'm trying to think, I'm just trying to think of when I found out. It's just like, mm-hmm. there are inklings. And then I think one day it really hit me. Like when you were in high school or something? I don't even remember, but it was always kind of just like there. It was always just like obvious to me. And then I'm like, when was the conversation had? Because like, I think you can always just pick up on it as a kid anyways. Mm -hmm. And so they're in London, which is basically like the epicenter of cool at this point. This is the youth quake era. It's the 1960s and fashion's at the heart of this cultural transformation. And like the icon of this cultural transformation is the miniskirt. It's like scandalous at the time even if it's just above the knee and it's yeah this like really iconic piece of clothing and anna fucking loves it she loves it to pretty much to 
still to this day. Right, right. Has been said to tell people to shorten their hemlines and, you know, she knows what she likes. There's a store called Biba. Who's that person? Barbara Hulanicki? She designs this like pink gingham mini dress and she's selling it through newspaper ads. Like she only makes like 500 a pop, but she was receiving like 17,000 orders for these skirts or whatever dresses. And then she opens up a boutique called Biba and girls would line up every Saturday morning to buy her pieces before they sold out. And like Anna is impatient as fuck, but like she shows up and she waits in those lines and she gets those pieces. Yeah, so with that, like, she's starting to realize that's what she wants to do is, like, fashion stuff. And she starts taking class and fashion classes and, re- and like you said, just retail jobs. She also, what was the other job that she got a job at? Harper's? She works at Harper's, yeah. She does, she works at Biba. for like Biba? Maybe it's Biba. Well, she works at both. Okay. And I thought this, there was, like, a quote about, like, basically nepotism. It was, like, you don't have to work. They Everybody was fine with work, starting at the bottom because they just knew they didn't have to work that hard to get to the top, you know, because they all came from, like, a fancy private school right. at that time. But then she does eventually get a job in magazines. She does, yeah. And, I mean, when she works at Biba, like, her dad, her dad gets her the job and he says, like, go easy on her. And, like, basically they're all told to, like, go easy on her there. Mm-hmm. And they're all, like, models. It's it's one of those jobs where it's, like, you know, you're chosen for your look. It's, like, all the it girls work at Biba. You have celebrities coming in. Yeah, they're all supposed to be really nice to her. The, the girls, but, like, a lot of people steal from the store. Like, at one point, representatives come to the oh, school yeah. and they're like, hey, like, listen, stealing isn't good. You, you shouldn't steal from Biba. And they're, like, all sitting there and they're, like, stolen Biba scarves being yeah. like oof and so then anna gets fired because they like think she's one of the ones who stole the stuff she definitely was you think so a hundred percent but like she probably wasn't the main one i think they even said like we saw her in a, a thing or two why would you steal if you had that much money ask when i a writer that <laughs> well ask Lindsay lohan that like i don't know why i don't it's just the thing i mean i guess i definitely did still clothes back in the day and wasn't because i didn't i mean i didn't have money so that was my only option but i'm sure it's just for the thrill you're young yeah you, you're basically a sociopath trying to fill anything you know so you're like let's take yeah. it plus who knows like i mean her dad worked at a newspaper and they had five kids like they probably weren't giving them like unlimited clothing allowances uh, speaking of that like her grandfather dies Right. Eventually, after she's gotten a job uh, as an entry level assistant at this fashion department, like we were talking about at Harper's and Queen, um, and her grandfather dies and leaves like a nice chunk of change. Oh yeah. And over the first six years of her magazine career, she received more than nineteen thousand dollars or pounds. I don't know, but they said dollars here for us Americans, uh, which in twenty twenty one currency would have been like more than one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, which the writer speaks on like that really gave her the capability to make the decisions that she had because she had something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to remember that like with every move that she makes, she is financially supported. It's not just like a situation where she's like going in and she's working her way up. It's like she can make decisions that benefit her. She can act a certain way. She can behave irrationally even and she it doesn't it doesn't work against her because she knows she has some money to fall back right on. she doesn't have to like answer to people she can be this like confident decisive person exactly that people portray her as and it's like yeah because she has money to fall back on and because she has the connections exactly. to know that she can like get 
another job if she needs one. It's not just about having, like people always say, nepotism, I had to work really hard to get get to where I am. I'm like, but even having that interview significantly helps you. Having that money significant helps. Yeah. Like obviously, right? But it's an emotional level too. Right, totally. Just want to make sure that we remember that. Yeah, she's like very much from a place of privilege. Like she also just like has a glamorous seeming childhood. Like her and her friend Vivian last year, like going out to clubs as teens and like her dad. So like she wasn't that into school and she decides not to go to college. All her other siblings get like degrees from prestigious universities. She takes some fashion classes and that's like, okay, fine. Like I'll do this schooling. And she doesn't do well. She hates it. She doesn't like school. Yeah. And then she graduated or like, finishes these classes at 18 and her dad sends her to the U.S. because her thesis is on department stores. Like, how is the price pricing done? How is the retail whatever done? And so he sends her to the U.S. to go visit all these department stores. Again, like, who the hell gets to do that? <laughs> and then he links her up with some of his friends there and says, like, make sure you show her the nightlife. Like, who's, yeah. whose parent does that? Cool one. I mean, I don't want to give him that much crap, but everybody was like, people were smoking cigarettes inside back in the day. You know, I think people are a little more loose with their their money and their vagina. It does, like, they, apparently when her and Lasky, Vivian Lasky were going to these clubs as teens, like, they weren't, they weren't drinking. They just, like, wanted to be seen and they wanted, like, and then they would leave and go home. I'm like, how much of that is true? Another question I have is, do you think overall Amy O'Dell wrote about Anna in like a positive light? I think so. Yeah. I think it was more, I mean, I think she did make it clear on levels of how she got her power and it wasn't through being kind and it wasn't through like working her way up in a sense that she understood poverty and what it meant to be like a, a person with coming from nothing like hashtag girl boss <laughs> filled that role that she like which is something that i mean like she like wanted to be editor-in-chief she became editor-in-chief and we all saw it at culturally so i think that is amy speaks on it like obviously that makes her validated she exploited people the whole fucking time mm-hmm. and i think she needs to be held accountable way more there's so many labor rights problems when i was reading through this that i don't feel like really dived in like because you can't but like because it's not it's a book about from like anna's experience but you can't really dive into the fact that how many people were just like not living well under Mm -hmm. the care of Anna Wintour Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be like haha that's how the fashion world is and I'm like no like she doesn't care about people equally that is not okay but also it is like you you're like oh that it's just the fashion world which is a little bit of what I came away with which was like the fashion world was operating that way yeah like lots of people within the fashion industry were being treated badly by people at various magazines and it was there was a ton of nepotism like at one point like I think it's when she starts at Harper's and Queen and she gets that job because her dad knows the boss and it's like she doesn't even stand out there because they're all like princesses and like right. daughters of dukes and it's like very much yeah and she perpetuates that fully like she doesn't try to transfer her power to other people like she exactly she very much upholds that I, I don't know and I do think again Amy does a really good job period of telling the story as unbiased as possible but i do still think there's a leniency of like making her full three-dimensional human and i guess that to me is like therefore being on her side in some capacity you know which i guess is the point of a A biography yeah yeah like i'm like how dare you make me feel like this is a human that i have to identify with yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think it's funny that like when she starts at Harper's and Queens, she already is wearing the sunglasses. Yeah, they talk about the sunglasses because like apparently she does have bad vision. Um, but somebody else just said no, she just likes wearing sunglasses. Which I'm like, should I start wearing sunglasses? This is like another power move that I'm like, she you could she can see you, but you can't see her. It's like no, a poker. She's your like, power is your vulnerability. Yeah, and it is kind of showcasing how like Anna's like behavior was so rectified in the sense that like people kept on like applauding it and that's how she got to the top, but now it's like you can't I guess you probably still can, but I'm like, I'm saying you can't be so obvious about the nepotism, I guess, and now in media. Yeah, it's like, it really highlights how she, like coming into this book, I thought of her as so stuffy and old and boring. And you read this book and you realize like, she hasn't, she was edgy at a point, like she was pushing ideas and then she's just kind of, she has tried to stay really relevant and in ways she has, but you just see her really fall behind in terms of like, she's not getting it. She's not getting the cultural shift. She's not like... She likes diversity up to a point. Yeah. when she, She's 25 when she quits Harper's and Queens, which mm. is the English journal that she worked at for a little bit. Nothing monumental really happens except for the fact that we find out that she gets her hair cut done three times a day, three times a week and wears a lot of fashionable rich people clothes. And this is when we first hear about her love of dry cleaning as well. Uh-huh. You'll it, I, Just so y'all know, Anna loves dry cleaning and she's kept that bob pretty much when she was popped out of the vagina. Yeah, dude, she's had that bob for so long. I Yeah, I really relate to her love of dry cleaning. Not I, I can't afford dry cleaning Right. But I, I do really love OxyClean and I I just understand a furious desire to clean clothes. I, I'm the same way, but I'm like, again, you have to be rich to look that good. That's Definitely. like price. She's also a Scorpio who has a lot of boyfriends. Like early on, she has a lot of boyfriends. She loves sex is what you kind of vibe with. Yeah, she's like always has like multiple guys. Guys really love her. She has, she like live, is living with someone even at age 20 and then they break up and she moves back into her parents' basement and she meets this guy named Richard Neville, a hippie with a dark mop top who moved to London from Australia and started this counterculture magazine called Oz. And it's like posting about abortion and posting like all these like things that are really taboo at the time. There's like nudity and he gets threatened with jail time and she's like into these bad boys and so her dad invites him over and he's like hey like you're into journalism and politics do you want to follow the election in america right now and the guy's like yeah and so her dad straight up sends this guy to america i mean that is such a great job to have if you if you're a journalist and someone brings that up as an opportunity honestly everyone in this situation won yeah Truly. Maybe Anna was going to like have the best orgasm of her life or something, but like probably, <laughs> I highly probably doubt not. it. But she moves to New York with no job at, at this point when she's 25 and she doesn't have a job for a while. She does some freelance gigs. Again, who moves to New York with no job lineup? Right. Not not me. Not, not I. Guess I. Andre kind of did. Oh, yeah, but he was like starving. Right. Yeah, she was not. Very different. Very different situation. And she says something about New York that I find interesting. It's like, I, I just feel like, yeah, like she's a politician. Everything she says is just to like make people feel like you can identify with her. But like everything I'm about to say is literally against everything that she actually like her actions show. Mm-hmm. 
She says, um, I felt quite isolated growing up in England, but not because of family, but because of class, the class-driven culture. One thing I like here is it isn't all driven by class and where you went to school. Everyone from New York is from somewhere else. It was essential of like why New York mm. was interesting. Mm. And it's just con- funny considering, as we'll find out, all her assistants have Ivy League like backgrounds mm-hmm. or are like have a higher up class family mm-hmm. like she doesn't hire anyone really outside of that right right she so, wants pedigree yeah yeah and um she does eventually she gets a job at harper's bazaar and she's like the stylish european one in the office she's she was just like in there with her european outfits when she was done wearing the clothes she'd give them she'd give them to people she was into this photographer the surrealist fashion photographer called hero who had defined harper's bazaar's look from the past but now they had kind of transformed into this aesthetic that was like tightly cropped headshots and she was too artsy fartsy for it she's dating this guy named something bradshaw who cares (laughs) he'd come to the office and everyone would flirt with him but he was actually coming to the office because so they're living together at this point they date for a while and he was a gambler and she controlled his finances, so he'd, like, come into the office to, like, get, what, like, a credit card? I don't know. I was so confused some, by that. They didn't have credit cards back then. There's probably some cash. Right. Yeah. I was confused by that, too, and I was like, why is he, she in control of the finances? How did this breakup happen? Yeah. It's, like, obviously, like, you know, like you were saying, she can't go, Odell can't go into, like, all the details, but there are a lot of stories I want to tug on. I... I hated all her boyfriend stories. They sounded too familiar. They're all shitty, except for her husband. I was like, I want a David Schaffer in my life, dude. I loved hearing about it for some reason. Like, I loved that she was just... Hooking up. Hooking up, one after the other, multiple boyfriends at a time. I did love that. But I just, like, some of them weren't great. No, for sure. Um, With Bradshaw, she goes to a Bob Marley concert, and she gets back from it and says, I feel like I've met God. (laughs) <laughs> Which is just like... <laughs> That's hilarious to me. That's such a boomer thing to say. Yeah, like she just... Yeah, her mind is really blown. She does like to know whatever's hip. Um, I I forgot to say this, but like at one point she goes to a protest. Do you remember this part? It's like in the 60s. Oh, yeah. She's like taking forever to decide what to wear to the protest. She decides to wear leather. Then she runs out the door and then the dad hears like pitter-patter. She opens the door, comes back in and she's like, Daddy, are we for or against Cambodia? And she just like, you know, she like wants to be really like on the forefront of everything, but she's not, she's not as in the know always. Well, yeah, she wants to be there present at least. She doesn't want to know the details. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It gets fired at Harper's Bazaar too. And that's a whole thing. You know, eventually the editor-in-chief that fired her will get shamed and they'll have to retire because of her. I couldn't remember if it was that guy. Like the names, there's so many names. There's so many names. And I like in my notes, I like omit a lot of names because I'm like, I don't know, various fashion people. She gets fired because photo shoots turn out too sexy. What a reason to get fired. Yeah, the last straw was that she gave one of the models cornrows instead of like the Farrah Fawcett look. And it's like, yes, we know white people doing cornrows today to be problematic for a different reason. But then it was problematic because it was like not white enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was about to say, it's like there's layers to it. It was a different reason. It's mm-hmm. just people being like, how like they were just disturbed by it. And then she got fired. Okay, whatever. She gets a job after she gets fired at and becomes a fashion editor at Viva, which is ran by the penthouse publisher, which is this is a it's a fun little little 
story for her. You know, she like it's like she gets her season of just being like at this bizarre scenario that you would never see like her at like a penthouse. Yeah. As a fashion editor. It's my favorite. It's my favorite part of the book. I just think it's so funny that she goes and works at this publication. It's founded by Bob Guccione, who bragged that Penthouse was the first magazine to expose the clitoris completely. He like considers himself an artist, but... <laughs> Honestly, I think he is in the sense of like, he was willing he was open to anything. And Penthouse wasn't like not political as well. They talk about how Penthouse did write like political pieces mm. on like w- like consents mm. and like believing victims, which is certainly ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. But also like, I don't know, probably said other really problematic shit. I don't, I've never read Penthouse. So, but I thought that was interesting. It was just wasn't taken as seriously because Viva was just seen as like softcore porn, basically. Yeah. And they, so they featured male nudes and like Guccione was like, why are we attracting more gay men than women? He thought like bringing in a legit fashion editor would change this. They also dropped the male nudity. But like at that point, they have this reputation of being Viva. Like, so they're still not being sold in supermarkets. It's like really hard for them to convince people that there isn't something naughty under this papers. I looked up some of these covers. I did too. Oh my God, I love that. I do too. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I love the font. I love how like... Love the font. I, I do like, yeah. Everybody does like have a fake orgasm happening face. Like they do have that like, ugh, like head back. Mm-hmm. Hair back. Some of the headlines on the cover say the happiness and heartbreak of having two lovers. Abortion in America, a state by state guide. What the? This is good. Yeah. Oh my God. This would. When God was a woman, some no kidding history that predates the Bible. Book, what? Book bonus, Psychic Summer. This cover has a woman who's covered, like, you know, like, like a job? Yeah, like a job. And. How old was that? Food fetishes. September 1976. And then... The 70s, man. And then there's... I see a cover with, like, a guy, and he does look sexy, and it's like, you know, it's tasteful. I'm like... It looks so good, yeah. And so she gets this job because of her ex-boyfriend, Bradshaw, which I'm like... Ex-boyfriends. Get, get us, us jobs. jobs. Get us jobs. <laughs> yeah. If you're not getting your ex a job, you're canceled. Okay. And she has a ton of freedom at this magazine. Like, she's going on. She's They're doing shoots all over the world. She's spending money. Yeah. This pissed me off. Why? Because I'm just like, the audacity to not give a shit. Like, I feel bad if I spend any money from anything, and I'm mad at myself for it, and I'm mad at her for having that not feeling that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just, she spends, baby. I think it's kind of funny how Odell describes Guccione. Like, she, she's like, oh, yeah. He wears printed man blouses. What's a man blouse? <laughs> I think Hawaiian shirts. Mm, it was like it was like seventy and blouse, uh, and said it's like it's like the pirate shirt from Seinfeld. I think. Yeah, I'm making this up. I looked him up, and it was like what I was expecting. It's like printed long sleeve blouses. So just a blouse. It's just a blouse. It's a man like, wears it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he's got like socks with sandals. So and we just start calling everything like when men wear it, just be like man socks. It'll be like a man tampon. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When they need them. A man cup the instead of a diva cup. Yeah. Um, and then his girlfriend, Catherine Keaton, Kathy Keaton, 
the way Amy O'Dell describes it is that like she was running the magazine and it kind of annoyed me because she made it sound like he'd just like given her this job. Like the way I read it was like he founded the magazine and then he just lets his girlfriend run the magazine and she didn't have any fashion knowledge. But like when I looked it up, she founded Viva. His girlfriend founded Viva and was like very involved. She was a former dancer. I'm interested. I want to know more about this because Amy O'Dell seemed to do some serious research. So I want to know why. Well, it's like, obviously there's a lot of details that have to be left out. And it's like, she did, what she was describing was true. She was a former dancer with long blonde hair, heavy makeup, and also low cut shirts. She just didn't, she kind of like underplayed her role. And she was born in South Africa and she started to dance as a way to strengthen her leg after she had polio. And uh, she, she had small parts in British movies, usually playing like strippers or tabletop dancers. And then... What an incredible life. I know. She was one of the highest paid strippers in Europe. And then she founded Viva. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a show called Minx. I wonder if that's like based off of yes, her. It is, is it? It's based off of this magazine. Oh my God, it makes so much sense. Have you seen the show? Yeah, and I was like, they were like, it's not based in any reality. Because I was like, is this based off a true story? Because this feels like it could be based off a true story. That's and a rumor. They were like, no, not at all. But I was like, there's just too much overlap. There's definitely a woman that's like a former dancer that's like running the thing. And it's like, wow. pe- she's like a bimbo. Like people under like credit her and she like is the best. Oh my gosh, I want to watch now. I think you should. And then there's also the uptight like chief, editor-in-chief that like wanted to have a feminist magazine but that's anna you think no 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 not at all but i don't think so i don't think anna ever really cared about feminism that definitely doesn't seem to be her main goal here like she actually does this shoot in jamaica that features two women and a man in quote-unquote lustful entanglements she's very status quo even though she's like radically into the artist it was still very it wasn't like breaking all the stuff that she does is still like racist she says homophobic stuff like i mean it seems like at the time she was breaking norms in a way that was like she was willing to be shocking shocking yeah but that's still not like that's still like it's not saying anything about the culture itself it's just like we know it's taboo and we're gonna show it to you it's not celebrating black or asian culture it's not like it's more like well you can break a norm without being without it being admirable or important or like benefiting for sure people who are but yeah it's like yeah it really just is shocking it's not it doesn't have a message she's not like oh female empowerment yeah. but she liked to spend money like we were saying and an example of that was like she went to the cosmetic convention in florida and anna got in trouble with keaton the hot blonde that ran everything for the cost of the weekend because she just spent so much money and she basically refused to leave her room for meals because she didn't want to eat in front of people. And that no, that ra- was the makeup artist. Oh, uh, that's the makeup artist Anna hired. Okay, An- Anna gets in trouble. She's not even at the shoot, but she gets in trouble because they're like the makeup artist spent all this money. She wouldn't leave the hotel room because she wouldn't didn't want to eat in front of people. But Anna blames her assistant. Yeah, that's what I was getting down to is because I just that was like. The first inkling of how she's so willing to throw people under the bus. Yeah, yeah. Like, how bad would you feel if you... If I was like, the assistant did it? It depends how... (laughs) It depends who it is. Um, But I think I would feel... I would would just be like, it's nobody's fault but my own. I think that... Because I've always thought that. I've never Mm -hmm. had an assistant. I think the moment... If I ever got an assistant, I think... I think that's when you change. You start to believe that you're better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know? Because assistants just are like, so willing to take the rap. Oh, God. It sounds so nice. (laughs) <laughs> just being like, hey, could you go do this for me? I know. 
literally I know I was like I could be Anna Wintour I think about that all the time it's just like if I had two assistants on call all the time try to stop me try to stop me yeah dude there were too many relatable moments honestly where I was like at one point when she switches high schools one of the girls was like, she just moved on. Like, she didn't have any attachments to anyone. And I was maybe she just didn't like you. That's what I thought. It's like, which is what's interesting about a biography is that you're interviewing all these people and it's like, each each interview can't stand alone and that's the whole point of biography is that you like combine all these different things that people say and it's all right lady sorry she didn't call you after she switched high school yeah or just like she didn't want to hang out with you after high school Mm -hmm. yeah so viva then isn't working and they announce that they're going to cease operations this is 1978 and anna cries in the office she's like well there's there's an assumption like everybody was kind of shocked that she cried because this is the quote her flippant attitude and frequent absences have led the staff to believe she didn't really care for the place her expense expensive clothes suggested she didn't need the salary but she was probably mourning not for the magazine the flexibility the first place she carved her kingdom and all of it was now gone and that's exactly what i thought when i first read why she started crying i was like oh it's because she had so much freedom to do whatever the fuck she wanted. Yeah. Like, I could see myself, I was, like, imagining why I would cry in that situation. hmm Yeah, I mean, the trips you get to take? Yeah, she went all over. Like, just to go f- take a couple photos. And it's like... I know. Have, when you looked at these magazines, did you think... They did not need to go anywhere. They could have done a backdrop. Yeah, like, go, it's like... But there was no thought of like maybe we should try to be thrifty about this like they just there was so much money they, they had a small budget but they still like sent anna across the world and like got her to do things i'm like where are the jobs like that now Dude, where are they yeah i, I just... they never existed except for in the 60s and 70s i think there's just a short period of time where people are like we don't really care about money as much but we want people to have experiences well is that know, like what tech is now where they're just like oh good point yes a mi- a mi- you can have however many free breakfasts at the office yes. and like a limited time off and like whatever less glamorous though honestly a hundred they all look, they all look like shit they do yeah. I'm just kidding. If you're in tech, it's totally a joke. You look great. I'm not joking. You look great. <laughs> we are, are. Shouldn't we be encouraging? I just think they could try a little bit more. That's the tech world has decided that it doesn't look good for you to look like you care because then you spend you're spending more time that you care. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. We have a whole, we have we have content about this. Listen to our other episodes. You should just listen to all of them just to make sure you you catch it. Yeah. So this Viva ends and then she travels the world with her boyfriend at the time. For a year and a half. Just. Again, they just go jet setting. Yeah. And then she gets a job at this magazine called Savvy. I don't have much notes on this because it's boring to me, but it was like, And it's murky. I don't understand what's going on. Do you? No. Because like the transition from her to Savvy to New York Magazine, I'm like, what happened? I'm confused on how that transition worked. Yeah. She was, she like went into the office uh, of interview, the magazine, Andy Warhol's magazine, and she showed like Bob Colosio, he's an editor, an idea that she'd been working on while she was working at Savvy. And he said it was shit and he didn't like it. And she started crying. And I'm like, so were you were you actively trying to get other jobs while working at Savvy? Definitely. I mean, obviously we all we all do that game, but like I just it was just weird. I was like, I guess she went to New York Magazine and showed them stuff. Like it didn't sound like there was no reason for. I, mean, I wasn't clear on how like why yeah. New York Magazine was the choice that she. 
yeah. landed on. Yeah, well, and Andy Warhol was like, maybe they should have hired her, but he said she was a terrible dresser. Which I completely agree with. Yeah. She doesn't have any sense of style. She just is rich. Right, rich and skinny. And then, and so Savvy Magazine, it's like the magazine for executive women. And so it's basically like she wanted to feature fancy clothes, but they wanted to be like practical. And that was like... A new trend in the 70s also was like, women are working, we want clothes for work, we want practical shit. Yeah, and she, like you just said, she didn't really give a shit. That wasn't why she was there. She was there to build her portfolio, Mm -hmm. which is something we got to remember sometimes. Sometimes we go to a place just to build our portfolio. It's okay. Amen. Yeah, so she gets the job at New York. Her first assistant at New York is Melanie Skoreska. Okay, well, she has her first assistant. Mm. And this person attended Parsons and was just starting their career. And she basically did what she was asked. She kept her head down. Once she proved herself, Anna allowed her to start styling and planning shoots. And she did one with some up-and-coming comedian. This assistant did one with an up-and-coming comedian and commissioned this really young, soon-to-be-famous photographer. And Anna, Anna completely killed the story without any explanation. And this is something that she does throughout her career, mm-hmm. and it's part of the deal. And she knows she has to start doing it because she it's necessary to let people know that you have standards in this business. Mm-hmm. Which I I get that. I I don't like how she just kills it. And what she's known to do is kill it and never give any reason of why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we hear that in Tally's memoir too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's like you've got so much money has been spent. You know, like people fly places. Like literally you could have gone on an international trip. A hundred percent. Done all these photos, worked with, you know, and some of these photographers have egos, obviously. And it's like, you don't just tell so-and-so photographer you're not going to publish their photos. And yep, yeah, she does. She does. You can, it doesn't matter who, like Gwyneth Paltrow did, I think, four different shoots and like Mm -hmm. only one of them got in, Mm -hmm. you know? They like made her reshoot it a bunch of times. And it's at that point, these, they wanted their covers and some of them were willing to do it. It's just insane that things can just get killed and how much money they spend and they just decide, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, pay off my student loan. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, that's insane. It's just a waste of money. But also, yeah, I get it. She got to seem like she is confident in the choices she's making. Yeah. And she's really decisive, like on shoots. She doesn't love doing shoots and like, you know, eventually she does more of the decision making in the office instead of being on shoots but like and it's like it seems like she doesn't necessarily start out this way at first she's kind of like meek on the sidelines according to some people but then she like really comes into her own and is like super decisive yeah telling telling people what to do and yeah she'll just nix nix a whole shoot at new york magazine it's like so this is you know a diff this isn't a fashion magazine like she's at the fashion editor editor at a non-fashion magazine like she's a bit of an outsider at one point she's like in the office she'd put her bob up into like a samurai style bun on top of her head oh yeah band. and the first time the staff noticed it one by one they start putting their hair up in rubber bands even the men even if they barely had any hair and when anna looked around the room and saw what happened what was happening she like burst into tears and left got a real sensitive side i she cries a lot people think that like at the beginning of the book like there's a wind tourism, like that, talking about her dad and how Anna is portrayed also about how their stoicism is like, don't matter what the situation is, you don't cry. And it's like, I don't know, Anna cries literally every time someone's like, I don't like it. Like, she could never be an assistant. Well, you know, I think when you have a book written about you and they just kind of like breeze through your life and talk about all the most interesting moments... It's like the times you cry are the most interesting moments. For sure, but I can't. Crying at work because people make fun of your hairstyle is a bit 
much. much. Sorry. Sorry. She can't handle the heat, but she can throw it. And that's what kind of irritates me. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, totally. She's um, like mean girl energy. Mm-hmm. It's like, how well, dare you come for me, but I will come for you. Yeah. I mean, she definitely was described as talking shit about people like in high school, like how they look, their frizzy hair, blah, blah, blah. But I don't feel like she's like mean girl because she just doesn't care. I mean, she like right here is talking about how like she would haze everybody, all the Vogue. It's like not, it's like not socially. It's like, I mean, I told, I get what you're saying. She's mean for sure. I guess when I'm, I don't think that she has a desire for social power so much as power power. I don't see her as being a huge gossip in terms of like, oh my God, did you see like what Kathy did? Because like, that's fun. That's cool. Right. That's right. not mean girl. That's just normal girl. Okay. So what's mean girl to you? Mean girl is just like being a co- totally an unnecessary fat phobic bitch to people that she can be because they don't have money. Right. Okay. I guess I, think, <laughs> I guess I think of mean girl as a more playful click and you're being mean blah, blah, blah to like to an outsider. But like you're, she, you're just saying she's a bad person <laughs> yeah. and the fact that she's just like how dare somebody make fun of me for my hair it's just like i do think it was a dumb joke i'll say that i was like this is not funny and i can't believe so many people got involved in this because it's just not a it's not a good one you uh-huh, know uh-huh. it is office humor it makes me mad only because i'm like i could see some bros thinking the, the, a bone on my head isn't that funny is and i would have been like do better she's also like not chatty at work like she's walking somewhere with someone and the person's like don't you chat and she says i chat to my friends which is just like wow she, i was like damn that's something i would say honestly like <laughs> it's not something i would say but i've been that person at a job before who was like everyone would like go walk to the bus together and i was like yeah i don't want to walk with any of you <laughs> like not to like i didn't no. see it as being mean i was just like i just I don't know what to tell you. I just don't want to walk and talk to you. That's, I think, completely fine. I think everybody should have a boundary, you know, like, understandably, you're not going to be friends with everybody you work with. And I think that should be understood because you're forced into a situation doesn't mean you have to be friends with everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, if I start establishing that, that like, oh, we take the same bus, so we're going to walk together every day to the bus, like, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, you're right on the money, dude. I do love my coworkers. It's everybody else that I hate. So my, like, I have talked kind of like how Anna says to my friends, like to everybody else that isn't my coworker before, <laughs> like on some level. Like I remember one of the managers was like, we had seen something that was kind of fucked up and my man, like not my manager, but like another manager was like, what if we had a salon and we talked about it? And I was like, am I getting paid? So I'm not doing it unless I get it paid. But like if, if, if I'm getting paid, I'll, I'll be there. And she was like offended by that. I was just like, I don't know what to tell you because all I care about, if I'm going to have trauma from work, I better be getting paid for the therapy from the trauma at work. It's just a ridiculous suggestion. It's like, I mean, to be like, yeah, let's like meet after work and talk about how to make the company better. It's like, if I owned a equal share to you in this company, sure, let's talk after work about how to make this company better, aka more profitable for us. Yes, exactly. And that's, I mean, I was just like, that was, it was my kind of version of being like, only my friends and I are going to, like, I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm not going to f- hang out with you for free ever. Mm-hmm. Be, I want to be clear with that. Like, so, see, I do, sometimes I'm like, I am this, I was just, if I was a one rich way, uh, run one rich family away from being a complete capitalist bitch, I swear to God. Like, I grew up poor, I am poor now, so therefore I'm a communist. I mean, it's important to keep that in mind. Like, yeah, we're all born into these circumstances. You can be a little bit better or a little bit worse, but it's like Anna was born into the circumstances she was. She could have been a lot better, but it's like, yeah, but all the men love her and she meets... Like us. 
Like all the men love us God, for some reason. So relatable. <laughs> she meets child psychiatrist David. How are you saying that? Schaefer? Schaffer? Schaffer is how I was saying it. She's still with this guy, Michael Stone, I think. And Schaffer's married too. He has just moved to the US with his wife, Serena Bass. But then the flower wars begin. Basically, Schaffer's into her and he's selling, he's sending her flowers to the office daily. And so is her boyfriend, which I'm like, her boy, what? Her boyfriend? Because- I think Schaffer was just doing it. Well, they called it the flower wars. I know. I was confused by that. It's got to be both of them. David Schaffer is this child psychologist. He's got a little back issue. Yeah, she describes him as slightly hunchbacked and not handsome. I'm like, okay, you're just going to go and say he's objectively not handsome? I mean, he is objectively not handsome. I saw a few photos of him and I was like, who is this disheveled ghoulum? Like, like, but he's cool. Like in London, him and his ex-wife were like holding cultural salons with like painters, writers, and prominent people like Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, they mentioned Daniel Day-Lewis, which I didn't know he was English, but I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis is like, I don't know, every indie boy's fucking wet dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's there and like, so they go, they move to New York and they start doing the same thing and then that's like, Anna is at these things and so that's like how she meets him page turning noise so he's sending them daily and i I guess her boyfriend is also sending him daily even though the quote from him uh that someone said that he was a misogynist and just total like would put her down uh, but it's totally like a misogynist to just start sending flowers when they think like that's fair you're gonna get wooed by someone else the only thing that turns them on is like not being emotionally available and apparently Schaffer's like really supportive of her like I know I'm telling you this is what I'm saying where's my David Schaffer he's rich pretty rich I mean he's a child psychiatrist that's more money than I've ever seen you know who else is child psychologist now that I can think of this moment president of University of Washington really yeah, she came. I watched her speak. She talked about being from the child. She's a child psychologist. Anyways, they have power. They have money. They. I think they almost, they're a little conniving too. It freaks me out a little bit, honestly. I'm yeah, like, what are you telling those kids? Yeah, why Why do you got to study the kid's mind? But yeah, he also was a father. So he wasn't like a playboy. He was just, you know, he's already kind of lived his life. And he's like, Anna's hot, young, and happening. And he's also was into the fashion world anyways. So he like legitimized her interest and that like made her feel good. He was into fashion. Yeah. He also, his wife cheated on him and that's what dissolved their marriage. So like he was a good guy. He waited till his wife had cheated on him. Poor thing. And then he starts pursuing Anna like hard. I mean, I wouldn't say just because you got cheated on makes you the good guy. I know. I know. I'm like, (laughs) it's in jest. Uh, but like yeah he's not a, he's not like a he's not just after her for her looks <laughs> I don't know what is it he wants to build a relationship but she's in her like early 30s and she's thinking about kids she's our age and he has kids and he has kids but she knows that she could probably have more kids with him he seems like a safe option basically right right and so she leaves him uh, leaves her boyfriend her current boyfriend for Schaffer people just too independent independently two people said uh, that Schaffer was Anna's Savengali. is that you say it I I hope I'm saying that right Savengali. um meaning a person who influences you was and exercised their control oh like she controlled him he controlled her oh he was like because he I mean like she'd bring home the book every night oh yeah and he would look over it with her they call she uh, they were just in constant contact and he was definitely whispering shit in her ear about things and it wasn't necessarily like a bad sense of control from all i don't know if that's exactly what was happening but it was definitely like he 
was he was just as much part of the Vogue editing process as she was. Not just as much. He had a heavy hand, though. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, that's fair. Um, You're right. And people knew that, too. Like, they knew that he was, like, unofficially... Not, I'm not saying that that's, like, makes it better or worse, but, like, it was, like, he was so involved that people, like, were aware. Um, so- okay, I wanted to read... Okay, there's a part where, uh, for the February 28th, 1983 issue, she styled a spread... Here's another one of her crying. She styled a spread of models in different locations around New York City, and this... In one, the model gets her hair cut at the famous Astor Place barbershop. Photographer loved the shot with Anna and her piercing expression reflected in the mirror behind the model. But when he selected it and showed it to Anna at the office, she reacted strongly. She said she didn't want to appear in the picture. And the photographer pushed for it, arguing that that it worked with the story. Mm. Anna got so upset that she cried. Mm. And he goes, listen, Anna, I think you need a shrink, he said. right, right. And left the office. And the photo ran with Anna cropped out. But a few weeks later, she called and said, I found a shrink, she said, and I'm going to marry him. Which I'm like, that doesn't count, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a really, it makes for a really pithy line in a book. But if that actually happened, you're like, yeah, no, that's like literally not what I meant. (laughs) That's scary that you think that's the answer. This is not going to contribute to your personal growth. Yeah. So New York Magazine, she's getting real artsy fartsy. She's collecting art show catalogs she's visiting exhibitions she incorporates illustrations into her fashion pages and she poses models alongside artworks this really appeals to alex alexander lieberman who's vogue's art director at the time turned editorial director of Condé nast and he was actually an artist himself he would do like large-scale steel sculptures and when i first read that i was like sure 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 he's like going to some garage on the weekends making his little sculptures but i looked it up and it's like they're huge yeah they're big. there's one in seattle center oh shit i didn't know that. it's like the red we have to go see it one. i think i know what you're talking about yeah. so i looked it up and yeah. i was like you've seen this one that's crazy mm-hmm. that's some good little tidbit for yeah. when we take people on tours of things yeah and he loves luxury he says i admire everything that smacks of megalomania same Right. And then in August of 1983, Anna does this story where a dozen artists create paintings inspired by the fall fashion collections. And then she poses the models in front of their artworks, which is like kind of dope. It is really dope. I'm also like contrived to me because I'm like, yeah, that's what you do. That's what you should do. Right. Well, but we think of that. No, other people weren't doing that. I know. But it is just crazy. It's like the money to go like you're commissioning 12 artworks. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and so this is an excerpt from that article. I looked it up. The vibrant worlds of art and fashion help make the city great, but they rarely meet. Except at gallery openings, wrote Anna Wintour in the magazine's August 1983 issue. What kind of sparks would be given off, we wondered, wow, very Carrie Bradshaw, <laughs> if we caused those two worlds to collide? For the accompanying feature titled Painting the Town, she got prominent artists like Jean-Michel Besquiat, David Sal, Alex Katz, and Red Grooms to make paintings, especially for the shoot, an, an art and fashion juxtaposition that was rare at the time. Lieberman notices, basically. And he wants to hire her at Vogue, but he doesn't have, like, an obvious place for her. So he does what he usually does, which is, like, hiring two people for the same job and then just letting them compete for it. And he's, like, super involved in the magazine. Right now, Grace Mirabella is the editor-in-chief and she basically can't say no to him she can't tell him like not to hire anna and si newhouse was the chairman of Condé nast at the time he's people call him Cy, 
And he's like, has a huge crush on Lieberman. Like he thinks he's super hip and cool. He refers to the relationship. Lieberman is super hip and cool. Yeah. Like learning more about Lieberman, he does sound like a bizarre character that I'm intrigued by. Yeah. Yeah. And Sai basically says like their relationship was the most meaningful experience of his life, which I'm like, okay. Damn. If I was his wife, I would be like, the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many wives did he have. Uh, he wasn't a player. Like, he was pretty, like, tame. He Though he did, when his wife died, he ended up marrying the nurse that was, like, taking care of her. So and Newhouse likes Anna. Like, doesn't seem like it's in a pervy way. And then she gets the title of creative director, which, like, had never been used before. And her assistant at New York Magazine actually wants to go with her. Yeah. What was her name? Gunn? That one was... Lori Schechter. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, Gunn yeah. had been promoted. Yeah. Her also, that was another kind of showcasing. Gina Gunn was her name. Was like Georgia. A, Georgia Gunn was one of Anna's first assistants. And she just like, Anna would just throw her under the boss at any opportunity she could. And then like, apparently Georgia Gunn was just like very nice. Never said one, like, was, was very loyal to Anna. And apparently she did a lot of like the styling for all of Anna's stuff. And, and Anna would be like, Ugh. Georgia <laughs> and yeah. it's like damn Regina George dude yeah for sure this one wasn't Georgia Gunn but Georgia Gunn actually came back into her life again eventually yeah a lot of these people do recirculate it's like you know a bit of a small world yeah so the nature of Vogue is that it's very hierarchical and like I said it's basically what I would consider a union's fucking nightmare mm. it's just this is when I get really mad about it because it's just like they're talking about how Anna wasn't like into it but I was like but she was part of it she was like obviously taking part of this but the complete and utter disrespect to employees is atrocious. We need to do better. It's like, it's it's outstanding how bad everybody was treated except for if you were an editor. Mm. And it's just like the natural exploitative nature of being a personal assistant is just like infuriating to me. And they talk about how there were assistants crying in the hallways and crying in the bathrooms. I'm like, you guys, can you not look around and be like, maybe we're, maybe we're not treating people nicely. It's just kind of insane that that was just a norm. Right. Well, and then they would look at other magazines. Like at one point they were like, yeah, at least we don't get stuff thrown at us or we don't get like exactly. whatever. They were like, Vogue is better comparatively. And you're just like, damn, dude. Yeah. Bizarre Harper. Like people were putting hands on like copywriters. Mm. And they were like, at least we're just getting, you know, yelled at. No one's touching us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like Grace Mirabella and Anna are really different. Mirabella is who replaced Vreeland. I think we talk about it more later. But Mirabella is known for her love of beige. And Odell comments that aside from an appreciation for 20s inspired fashion spreads, Grace Mirabella and Anna Wintour really didn't have much in common. And people describe Anna as polite during this time. But her stint as creative director is also called the reign of terror. Yeah. Which is like the, and uh, the writer said she was hardly running anything. So the, the rain is kind of a reach of a thing. Mm. Marbella, though, might be the most boring Vogue editor ever. Hard to say because I don't know. I only know Vreeland, her, Me too. Anna. But I just assume because Vreeland was so fab and funky and mm -hmm. honestly sounds real annoying, but I would have loved from afar, you know? Right. You think Vreeland would be annoying? Oh, yeah. To work with Vreeland, she yeah. was doing psychotic shit. Right, right. Very, like, pie in the sky. Very, like, not coming in until noon. Right. She had the dream job, really, but... Yeah, and, yeah, Mirabella w would have, like, super long meetings where all the models would sit there, 
and the editors would bring in looks and like make a case for them. And then if there was enough momentum, like behind those looks, then the models would put the clothes on and people would talk about it. And Mirabella would like analyze stuff to death. She'd be like, why this jacket is in a new proportion? What is it saying? What is the meaning? Which I'm kind of like, I hate long meetings, but I do like waxing poetic about the meaning of it. I do too, but I think it's just like, you got to trust your editors to do their job. Totally. You can have that conversation off like to yourself. You totally. Know what I, mean? I mean, I feel like a lot of the best art, this is a statement that may or may not be true, but I feel like a lot of good art is like, made when individual collaborators are allowed to do their thing like Shit's Creek you know what's nepotism the- reigns high in the hell. <laughs> well sure but also Catherine O'Hara like is writing original content for it uh, oh yeah Alexis's yeah. character writes a song at one point for it like the writers really like let them be creative and do their own do their own thing yeah I did that's a time I relate to Anna she hates long meetings and she's like visibly impatient I related very hard to do that I think you and I would both be giving faces like I would be like are we serious right now yeah like even when people talk longer than I want them to I get like (laughs) really upset it brings me back to like being in church and being like forced to sit there and listen to someone I'm out of there and it was I hated it yeah I find a way to get out I'm pretty good at it I'm pretty like well nice talking to you thank you I'll cut them off even but yeah it is it's like doesn't everybody know that we're all turning each other out we're just trying to get by like like I can't something that was big putting Marabella in her position as chief and editor was the change of tides like Beerlins was perfect for the 60s with her eccentrics and now though during this switch was like baby boomers women baby boomers were demanding like to be part of the workplace and this is the first time like any of them had the careers to ever exist and they wanted practical clothes to wear to work an example would be use st lawrence like pantsuit which was iconic and we've talked about that before and lieberman knew that there's three primary stakeholders the readers designers and the corporate management and the corporate management was and the readers and designers were all shifting with the times Mm -hmm. yeah and breland like newhouse was wanting to do like market research you know like what do people want to see in the magazine and breland is just like degaff yeah yeah so like her numbers are bad and then they give the job to mirabella and Andy Warhol describes it as me yeah. that Vogue wants to go middle class. <laughs> Which I'm like, damn, Andy. I love that he's like the weird narrator. Through I know. He's always commenting. And it's just like, he's like the asshole. He's just like snobby. He's just like, for the middle class, she doesn't have style. <laughs> yeah. But it's I'm also like, like, he's never actually a character in this book. I'm like, do you even go here? <laughs> right. Wait, I wonder where she, I guess she just read a bunch of his stuff and he would mention it. Well, that's the thing. It's like all of this stuff is like in the news where I'm like, I guess Vogue is in the news now, like, but there's a million news outlets. Back then there were just like a few magazines and they were writing about this shit. Yeah. This was like people knew this gossip. I mean, I guess Andy Warhol isn't people, but. I mean, I'm just like, did she go through his personal journals or was was this an interview magazine? Was he just like writing out his thoughts? Like Probably. Probably. He could do whatever the fuck he wanted. Anyways, Lieberman got more and more involved with Vogue after Marabella uh, had the position. And one thing that we were, like we were saying, Marabella holds these long meetings. She's also just doesn't have a good sense of structure. She doesn't really, she doesn't really do much except be like dive in head first and then like have pointless meetings and it sounds like really annoying. And Lieberman's the act, like people consider him the actual um, editor-in-chief and her just the facing one. And 
yeah, he become he stays very involved with Vogue pretty much until the day he leaves, uh, more than any other magazine mm-hmm. at Condé Nast. And I mean, he was supposed to be an art director for like everybody, but. Vogue was his baby. And, you know, Anna's there being her creative director self, and she wants to graduate Vogue from these, like, women running down the streets shots, like, that are really popular at the time. She does a shoot with colorful clothes from New York collections against vibrant abstract paintings inspired by Russian constructivist theater sets created for Vogue by Dennis Askbal, which it's like, Okay, but also... (laughs) She's like trying real hard. She's trying real hard. I went to his website and his the headings of his website are paintings, prints, sculptures, projects, publications, architecture, surf life. (laughs) How old is he? He's old now. He's old. Yeah, he's like really old. You never give up the surf life. Exactly. (laughs) But he did... He's well known for his 1992 collaboration with science fiction and cyberpunk novelist William Gibson... They did this project called Agrippa, A Book of the Dead. The work consists of a 300-line semi-autobiographical electronic poem embedded in the art- in an artist's book by Aspbau. Um, and the text focuses on the ethere- ethereal human-owed nature of memories retained over the passage of time. I mean, it does sound cool, but everybody was writing sci-fi back then. It was like so, like, all the men were getting together thinking that they had sci-fi in them. Fair enough, fair enough. One of his paintings is like, it looks like the the things left over after like gel electrophoresis. It's like, I don't mm, know. I want to see it. Yeah. I am jealous of all the, like, the boomers really got the opportunity to explore themselves. Like... We're just working. Not in therapy, but... Yeah, not in therapy, but, like, you know, they could at least paint surrealist art and still, like, make bills or something. I don't understand what was happening. Yeah. How are all these people so artistic? Do they all have rich parents? Does everybody have a rich parent? Am I the only one without a rich parent? You know, I will say there's a higher proportion of artists talked about in this book than actually existed at the time, but... You think so? Yeah. This book is about people in the art world. That's fair. It just feels like the 70s and 60s, there was a lot more freedom to achieve that. And rent was free. I mean, I feel like you, you're you the first to say this. Like, artists have always been supported by someone. They've always been rich. Yeah. I mean... Not all of them. A full-time artist, for sure. Because, you, I mean, like, you have... Equipment costs money. Not working costs money. It costs a lot of money. But, like, the 60s and 70s, there's definitely people, like, you, you know... Food Not Bombs came up. There's like people and I think a lot more access to free things than there are now. Maybe. And affordable things. Things cost cheaper back then. You know what I mean? That's one true fact that I can know. Things are cheaper. Inflation, man. Yeah, Mirabella felt like Anna undermined her and challenged her. Other people also felt like Anna was trying to change everything. This is, yeah, Anna would take the book home every night, like Devil Wears Prada and review it with Schaffer. And but like the truth is she didn't igna- enact meaningful change to the look and feel of the magazine during she this didn't time. Too much. But her job description, there was no job description. Right. I mean, there was, but it was very like loosey goosey. And people were like, "What does this mean?" It's just like no one really knew, and that shit pissed me off. I'm like, that's not good management. You need to have. I know like his whole thing is about pitting people to against each other, which I'm like, why? I don't. I don't get this behavior. But it's just like, just have a job. To me, because I'm like also pro-union, I'm like, job description helps people like succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, they, know, they know what to do. And I just feel like it's better for everybody involved to at least know Except like, the higher ups because they want you to just work, work, work and not know what the bounds of your contract are. That's fair. 
That is that is fair. Well, like, and again, it's just like during this time, it's like, what was Ada really doing? What was she? She's just like busying herself with stuff, right? She had to be. She had to kind of like find her way of like what she could be a part of, what she couldn't be. Well, it sounds like she was doing shoots. She was reviewing stuff. But yeah, it's like it was nebulous. Eventually, after three years of working in this weird position, she gets an offer in 1985 to be editor-in-chief of the British Vogue. I think this is where we should end it, and then we should do a part two. All right, you guys. <laughs> right. We love you. We love you. I love you. Love you. All right, bye, you guys.